Hello, all the wiser listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of A Little Wiser. I am here with our producer extraordinaire, Erica Gerard, and our associate producer, Tara Daigle. And this is officially our first time having three people on A Little Wiser. So we'll start light because we're about to go deep. (laughs) And by that, I mean, we are going to look back on last week's episode with Kate Ranta. So we're going to talk about Kate, Kate's story, our reflections on that. And through Kate sharing her story on this podcast, I learned that both Tara and Erica have our survivors of domestic abuse. And we're going to talk about their stories and their journeys and, you know, them opening their hearts and what they're comfortable sharing. So tune in. This is what you have in store. (laughs) And just a little light banter, just a little little light conversation. (laughs) Yeah, nothing heavy at all. (laughs) Nothing heavy for your morning walk. (laughs) And so, Erica, you work so deeply on these episodes. What was sort of your standout moments or reflections on Kate and her story? Uh, So many. Wow. I think the first place I'll start is just the title of this episode, which uh, I was trying to brainstorm as I normally do the, I write the titles of our episodes and I couldn't, I was like, what is, what is this episode about? You know, like we're at the heart of it and what do we want our listeners to learn, take away. And it dawned on me that so much of Kate's story is her kind of walking us through step by step of what incremental abuse looks like. Um, Because it doesn't just happen all at once. It's, it's little at first, it's subtle. Um, It's so subtle that it's just it's almost ignorable and what I think she's trying to say here is these little red flags that you're seeing along the way they are not little that they are actually quite meaningful and we should start paying attention to them and um, not ignoring them so what I heard from her episode was it was just mind-boggling to me the way that he he came on so strong in the beginning and the way that he kind of was just Mr. Perfect. And, you know, as I was doing research about statistics on domestic violence, what I learned was that is incredibly common, that that kind of whirlwind... Is it like grooming? It's... Um, I think it's it's more of like a a reel. It's like a line that they cast to to just reel you in so that you will feel bonded to them. It's that Erica that piece of like all those little micro moments that add up and I think 
you know, upon reflection, you realize how powerful they were and perhaps overlooked or subconsciously ignored. And I think that's part of what I heard you say is all of those little moments where it feels like maybe something's off and that giving that voice more power and recognition. Yeah. Is that fair? Yes. Maybe something's off and not finding, not looking for the excuses to justify those feelings, to justify them away or, or saying, you know, yeah, I know he had a really fake looking smile and, and, you know, there was something that felt off about him, but he had flowers and, you know, (laughs) that's great, but we can't focus on the flowers is, is, I don't know. It's a very powerful metaphor, right? Yeah. We can't always just focus <laughs> on the flowers. Yeah. And in therapy, I learned like it's really important to maybe it's not quite a red flag to you yet, but it's equally important to look for the yellow flags because those are like the indicators of what's going to turn red. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. And also not making it about some sort of shortcoming about you like oh I always look for I always notice the bad things and right I need to stop doing that well mm-hmm. that's what I was gonna say yeah like that fine line of realizing that every human being is going to be imperfect and maybe somebody has you know quirks or flaws but trusting yourself to know I guess the difference of when it's danger and when it's the imperfections of a human being you know So Tara, what came up for you? You guys are walking the walk, I guess, with our podcast guests, and you both were completely willing and open and wanting to participate in this conversation, which I'm really grateful for because I think it takes it to a different level, and it may be that one of your stories or both are perhaps more relatable to somebody than Kate's because Kate's was so heightened and dramatic, but maybe within you sharing, there's somebody who's going to identify more and, you know, perhaps pause in a way that could save her in a sense. So thank you up front for that. And I'm curious, Tara, was there, you know, what are you comfortable sharing about your experience and what came up for you as you were listening to Kate? Because I didn't know this about you and Erica, I didn't know this about you and you guys are both pouring into this content and this story, which I imagine brings up a lot. So I'm curious to hear from both of you about your experience. Um, yeah, there were so many things, honestly, um, like several bullet points where I was like, relatable. Yes. (laughs) Um, but the first thing I think that really like hit me that she said was, um, that she always felt like she had to prove herself all the time, that she had to prove her love. She had to prove like her worthiness to like be with him. Um, and that was, that's something that I had experienced also me being myself was never good enough. It was always, how can I serve this relationship? What, what am I doing to be worthy enough to be with you as a partner? Um, I had to like earn my keep as someone. What did that look like in, in specifics? Like what were those moments? 
Um, I, I think it, it was little things as far as being overly domesticated and, and doing like house stuff. <laughs> um, but also, you know, she talked about Facebook and that was like a huge, it hit me pretty hard in the sense that like, yeah, I, I had to prove that I was willing to let go of a lot or give up a lot in order to maintain this healthy relationship um, and prove myself that I was for him and only him and I wasn't interested in anyone else or I also wanted to protect our relationship by not allowing others to be interested either. So it was very much like the slow burn or the slow trickle of isolation. Um, so yeah, that was another huge point is it's never, it's never the big abuse story in the beginning. It's never physical in the beginning. It's always something slowly that happens a little bit here and a little bit there. And it's usually emotional first and then it's mental and then it just kind of chips away a little at a time until until the explosion comes, you know, until it becomes this bigger, this bigger thing because then everything builds up and creates this layered argument that gets heated and that's usually when it becomes more it becomes physical how long were you in the relationship um it wasn't a consistent relationship because typically they're not <laughs> so uh it was like on and off for five or six years Wow. And well, Erica, I'm curious to hear the same reflections and whatever you're comfortable sharing with. And then Tara, I want to, yeah, I go back and, and I have some other questions, but Erica, I'd love for you to chime in. Sure. Uh, yeah, I really relate to that sentiment, Tara, about the isolation, because so my experience was with uh, my college boyfriend. And when you're in your early 20s, it's a very vulnerable time in your life. You know, maybe you're just experiencing the intensity of a serious relationship for the first time. And we were in a comedy group together with many others. And, um, you know, I remember that we were all, we all drove out to Los Angeles to, um, on a Disneyland trip or something. And no one wanted to ride with us in the car. There were two cars and no one wanted to be in the car with, with me and him. And just because there was so much conflict and there was so much heaviness, there was so much negativity, um, and at least those were the words that were spoken back to me. We just weren't fun to be around. Yeah. Um, not that it, everything has to be fun, but I think what the deeper meaning there was, you're forcing 
the two to continue to live inside a very destructive bubble. And you were talked about like Kate being reeled in and then all of those, you guys both mentioned this like kind of slow build. What was that experience like for you, Erica? Were there moments looking back where you're like, that was, you know, you can put the pieces together of how the story makes sense now? Oh, yeah. I I think one of the things that there's sometimes his voice plays in my head and I he- I can hear him saying, and it's it's like so many years later, which is so bananas, right? Like, I was in my early 20s and now I'm in my early 40s. So this is, (laughs) and I still hear his voice in my head saying things like, you know, I I can visualize, I have tears rolling down my eyes and he's saying, you know, like, it's just me and you. It's only me and you. You know, these very like, with like this intensity coming from him, it, and it, it, it made me feel, on the one hand, very seen, and that was exciting at the time because, you know, I had kind of come from a family of origin where I didn't always feel seen. And so the fact that I felt like this man really saw me was very seductive in the moment. Yeah, that makes sense. How long were you in the relationship? Uh, about two years. Two years. And Tara, it's much more recent for you because you're in your early 30s. When was this relationship? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it's worth mentioning it was also a college boyfriend, um, yeah. more towards the end of my college. So, you know, 21 to 25 maybe a little earlier. I mean, we started dating when I was 19. So I was so young. And there's so many layers to this, just in what you're saying, Erica, and so many things to unpack there that like, it just brought me back to so many instances. Tara, when did you decide to get out? Or was that multiple times? I'm curious when. I actually... Well, I moved away with, we moved away together. So um, it went from that isolation period to where my family pulled away, my friends pulled away when I was living, you know, in my hometown. But then I moved to a different state and, you know, you get closer to your abuser, like you had said, Erica, So I would come home and every time I would come home, there would be like another layer revealed to me of like, I know this isn't healthy. I know I need to leave this because my family, of course, would would talk to me and see things and see more signs. Um, So I tried, I, it's kind of crazy. I was home in... May and I we got into a fight over the phone because I was out with literally my parents and my sister and I wasn't paying attention to my phone enough um so we got into a big fight 
And it was at that point that, you know, my family started to kind of get involved and say like, hey, you need to chill. You need to relax. Like she's not doing anything wrong. She's out with her family. Like Tara, how, how, how they kind of looked at me like, how do you not see this? So in, in that moment, I was like, yeah, no, I definitely know that I need to leave. And this is a really hard thing. So maybe I just need to do it before I'm ready. So my dad and my brother actually ended up um, flying to go get my car and drive it back. And literally by the time I think my dad was an hour or two away, I called him on the phone and said that I would be leaving to go back. So I tried to go back in May and then decided, you know, I wasn't ready. I couldn't do it. I wasn't strong enough. He convinced me that it would get better. So I went back and then it was November that we got into another fight. And by that time, um, it just, in, it escalated increasingly to the point where it was very obvious to me that I didn't have a choice. Um, for my safety, I just had to leave. And was he physically abusive as well as the manipulation and emotional abuse? Yeah. Yeah. That, um, in December was actually when I decided to fully leave because we had gotten into a really blown up, escalated fight and it did get physical. So. And, um, when you talked about your family, and I'm curious, Erica, as well, but noticing signs, you know, it may not be the person listening that it's in the relationship. It may be the person's sister or daughter or best friend. So I'm curious about the signs. Like, what did your family notice? Or Erica, like, in reflection, what do you think the signs are to look for? Well... At least for me, I, in retrospect, I realized that I did kind of drop breadcrumbs to people along the way. I remember I shared with a friend that, you know, she saw bruises on my wrists. And I, and I said to her, you know, just matter-of-factly how I got them. Like, oh, yeah, he grabbed my wrists really hard and, you know, as if that was just normal. Because that's normal. For, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's normal um, for for someone to leave a mark like that. Um, so I didn't lie about it. And, you know, no judgment if you do lie. I I probably lied about a lot of things, but... I I did try to excuse it away. So that is a, that's something to look for, obviously, physically. Mm-hmm. Um, bruising anywhere on the body. And also just a general heaviness yeah. that maybe wasn't there before. Um, 
my life felt very heavy at that time. And I started saying crazy things to people I know, like, oh, I can't leave him because he threatened to kill himself if I did. And they didn't do anything when I said those things. And I, I'm sure it was just like, well, what, what do what we do? do, you do here? Yeah. Um, and that's a tough question. It, I, I do wish on some level that people got more involved because it was very clear to many people in my life that something was very wrong. But I think people are very hesitant to get involved. Yeah. And I get that. And I think there's such a fine line there too, because in my experience, my family, I'm so fortunate to have a family that maybe be bored, might be borderline obsessed with me. <laughs> um, so they're like extremely <laughs> overprotective and very much involved in like all facets of my life. Um, so they definitely did get involved. I mean, to the point that they allowed us to live with them. My parents, we, we lived with them for a short period of time and any time that they did get involved, it pushed me further away from them. So, and closer to him. So I think there, I hate to say it, but you do have to kind of like walk the balance of support and calling some things out, but like also being there when I decide I'm not leaving. I was just thinking about Kate's story and a couple things. One, she said that, you know, I'm lucky enough to be loved enough that nobody shamed me and nobody turned their back against me. Um, but it was very clear that everybody was very uncomfortable with this and they didn't trust him. And that I think spoke volumes. I mean, it, it spoke to me, but it, it speaks a lot about how much she was loved and that she could feel that love from them and she could feel their discomfort. So mm-hmm. I think it's important to model, maybe, you know, model both. If you are somebody who is a family member or a friend to someone who could potentially be in, in this type of a situation. Totally. That's really well said. Yeah, absolutely. So does that look like I have com- some concerns? I love you what does that look like? Like the tactical, if somebody's listening and they're having that thing, like something feels off in the relationship, but I don't want to push her away. What is that balance? I would say, yes, I would say a good question to ask is, is everything okay? You know, just, you know, is everything okay with you guys? Like I'm just... I'm picking up on some things and and I just want you to know if you ever want to talk about it, I'm here. It, it can be that simple. Yeah. yeah, because obviously this is so, it's really taxing for the people around you. Like it, yes, is, it is really devastating, honestly. Um, it's really, really difficult to see someone you love 
go through something so painful. And still stand by them and support them because you know they need it more than anything but it hurts you too like it hurts your heart so much to see someone you love be hurting and I think about my dad's face the day that he saw me pull into the driveway you know um like his baby girl that he tried so hard in life to protect. I just know that feeling has to be really hard. So of course, if you are someone that is trying to support a friend, a family member, you have to have healthy boundaries for yourself also um, in trying to support them because you can you can go um, through it with them and be really emotionally, like there's a really heavy weight to it and it will affect you emotionally if you're so super invested in their relationship and in helping them see how unhealthy their relationship is. So back to the, to the balance of support and recognition. Um, just saying like, Hey, I'm, I'm noticing some stuff, but it can be so lonely to not have anyone. So anytime that I've had to give advice to a friend that has a friend that's going through it, um, the best thing that you can do is just be there. Like, please still answer the phone. Please still respond to their text messages. Don't cut them off just because they have a boyfriend or a partner that they don't, that you don't approve of. Um, I think that was the greatest gift to some of the closest people in my life is I knew I could still reach out. And yeah, maybe there was some distance in the relationship that I felt, but I knew without a doubt, if I said I need you, they would be there. I think what Erica said made a lot of sense to me that like it doesn't have to be an accusation it can just be compassion compassionate curiosity like how are you doing or like I notice we haven't seen you as much or just asking the questions and Tara to your yeah. point even when you say she's in this toxic relationship I can't be around the boyfriend I, I love that advice from both of you of, of, I think, a beautiful way to show up during that time. And I think that is a huge sign to look for. If you can't share the relationship with your people, it's a problem. There's some, there's, there's something more to the story. One other, one other moment that about in Kate's episode that, um, you know, we may or may not talk about it, but. I thought it was so fascinating was when the CPS representative showed up at the house and said to her, you need to pack your bags and you need to pack a bag for William and you need to leave. And if you don't, then I'm going to take him. 
from you. And when Kate said, almost like, oh, she said, okay. And as if that gave her permission to finally leave because she could then use that to communicate to Tom as a reason why she had to leave, as as if there needed to be a reason. But in her, it, it, at the time and in the moment, it seemed like the most important thing in the world to have that reason. Totally, totally. And I can totally relate to that too, because I remember leading up to it, like specifically praying, give me a reason. And it might sound sick, but when you're in an abusive situation, you need an out or I needed an out. I needed, I need a definitive moment to be able to walk away. I needed the, I know this is wrong. I have to leave. I couldn't just base it off of this is really unhealthy and I'm unhappy. I needed the big blow up and the definitive moment to be able to say this is over. I was blown away, to be honest, that both of you shared with me as a result of Kate's story that you were survivors of domestic abuse and domestic violence what do you think the biggest misconceptions are and I will say I was surprised and this is being honest with my own naivete because I know you both so well and I see you as these really like strong women you know what I mean like who um I don't know. I I see your confidence and I see your lightness and I see your big hearts and your strength. What do you think the biggest misunderstandings are about this issue? Because I feel incredibly naive. I think the biggest misunderstanding is that it only happens to meek, demure insecure women exactly which is what's because that's not true the reality is that it can happen to anyone yeah anyone and the reason I think that is is because our minds are so good at rationalizing behavior And when you are being emotionally manipulated, you just can't see it. Thank you for that. I think that's powerful information. So eventually you both decided to leave the abusive relationship. And I'm curious about what is next, the path to healing that I imagine really, you know, there's a whole new chapter that's just beginning that is probably a little bit messy and hard. There's a giant messy middle for sure. Yeah. Tara, what, what, what would you say? Um, well, 
full transparency, I jumped right into therapy and then right into another abusive relationship. So I can't say that it's always one and done. Um, I think it took me being really honest with myself in, in recovery, in therapy, um, of why I didn't have the confidence to stand up for myself, I think, um, and, and excuse a lot of the behaviors that, that led up to those relationships, led up to the abuse. Um, yeah, it took a lot of loving myself and learning how to do that. Erica? Yes, agreed. It takes a lot of loving yourself. And sometimes it does take a few times to learn the lesson. It doesn't just stick. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I love so much about this show is we often talk about how there, there is usually, there's always an inner wisdom and it it's often like the quietest quietest voice like it's not an oak tree it's an acorn it's just a little 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 piece inside that you've got to be brave enough to listen to and when you hear it you have to tell yourself I deserve better Mm -hmm. I deserve more I deserve love I deserve healthy relationships I can do this and you just gotta you gotta keep repeating it to yourself until you believe it yeah so the theme of our show the message the intent beautifully crafted words by Erica Gerard is that there is a notion and a truth of hope and possibility on the other side of pain this is obviously deeply painful traumatic chapter for both of you what is the hope and the possibility on the other side of domestic abuse Mm, That's a good question. Well, I'll start by saying it is a whole new world on the other side. And it's so much brighter than you could have imagined. Yeah. And the gift, the the silver lining, (laughs) um, is that you become much more adept at spotting green flags which are the opposite of red flags so the fact that when I'm out with my now husband I feel proud to introduce him to people Um, I I see that he 
encourages me to spend time with others. He isn't jealous of my friendships with males. You know, these are green flags. And I think you become a lot better at recognizing them. Yeah. Which probably serves you in all your relationships. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 100%. Tara, what about you? I would say it's pretty similar. I think the hope on the other side is the wisdom that comes from it. Um, And as hard as the experience was through the recovery of it, I've learned so much about myself. And the confidence that you see and the sureness and the self-awareness that you see in me today has so much to do with the recovery from that. Because I had to be super intentional about understanding it and understanding myself. Thank you both for sharing all of yourself. And I have such deep love and respect for you both as human beings and even more so after this conversation. I love our partnership and sharing other people's stories and sharing our own stories. And, you know, I know our intention in sharing these stories is always to hopefully provide comfort and allow others to feel less alone and you know that that we have this faith that the people who need to hear these stories that we'll find them so I guess I just wanted to end if you guys have words a call to action what do you want people to know I want people to know that it can be different that no matter how bad things are, you can't know what's around the other corner. So you just have to trust and leap and know that it can get better and it will. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, mine's going to be a two part. Mine is the first time is never going to be the worst time. So to just know that and just keep it in the back, tuck it in the back of your mind. Um, And the second part is that you are no less than for being in this situation. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah doesn't make you any less than a strong person Um, and you're worthy of a lot more. Well said. I I, I love that. My hope is that this conversation 
causes dozens of breakups. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of not kidding. (laughs) Nor should you be. I mean, that that would be very satisfying if it did, but, you know. (laughs) All right, well... Thank you feels like too small of a word. And (laughs) I, as always, am grateful to both of you and really excited to share this conversation with our community. Thanks, Kimmy. Love you guys. Thanks, Kimmy. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.